0: Every day we should live as thankful people. Psalm 136 says, Give thanks to the Lord for he is good and his love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good and his love endures forever. And if we're really honest, if we're really honest this morning, I think that is a lot easier said than done. Okay, that is a lot easier said than done. It's easy to give thanks when things are going well when things are all good in our lives, it's very easy to give thanks in those times. Um, it's maybe not quite so easy to give thanks when things are difficult or we're having a difficult time. And sometimes we say, actually, I can't give thanks at all. I'm finding it really hard, really tough, and I'm just not feeling thankful about anything. And this is, you know, I don't want to give thanks at all. Now, as we read the Bible, uh, we see that it doesn't say, give thanks to the Lord when you feel good, okay? That's not what the Bible says. That's not the, the verse in the Bible. It doesn't say, give thanks to the Lord when you feel good. It says, give thanks to the Lord because he is good. He is good and his love endures forever. So we're thankful people because God is good, not because we're going through a good thing, but because God is good and his love endures forever. Now, I can say this morning, if God stops being good, then I give you permission to stop being a thankful person. Okay? But as we know, God is not going to stop being good. And he's always good. And therefore, we should always be giving thanks. Paul writes in, the Philippi- in Philippians in chapter 4, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. When Paul wrote this, okay, when he wrote rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice, he was in prison. Okay, he's in prison. He didn't have a lot to rejoice about outwardly. Okay, he wasn't in some luxurious palace somewhere enjoying or, I don't know, thinking, oh, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. He was in prison, Outwardly, in a very bad situation, circumstances were hard, and yet he said, "Give thanks, rejoice in the Lord, always." And to, always. And today, you might find yourself in the middle of a situation where you really cannot see a light at the end of the tunnel. It's almost like I was thinking you're standing in the middle of a ball of wool, and you just can't see, or a bowl of spaghetti. You can't see how to get out. Okay, you're all tangled in it. You can't get out. You can't see the light at the end of the tunnel. And you're not feeling like giving thanks to God very much. You're not feeling like it very much. But can I say and encourage you this morning, we can still have a heart of thanksgiving. We can still have a heart of thanksgiving. You know, as I was looking at thankfulness this morning, I found it absolutely fascinating to see the research that's been done on thankfulness and gratitude. Do you know there's people who actually research it and the effect that it has on our lives? Okay. It shows that there's physical benefits to being a thankful people. It says that grateful people have fewer aches and pains. How could we do that? I think I could do that sometimes, be a thankful person, have fewer aches and pains. They report that um, thankful people are healthier, but generally feeling people. They feel healthier in themselves with a thankful and a grateful heart. It's amazing. Robert Emmons, okay, he's a guy, and I'm not expecting you to know who he is at all, okay? But he has a PhD in gratitude research. Who thought there could be such a thing? You know, if my children said to me, I'm going off to university to study gratitude, I'd be like, what on earth are you doing? But he does. And uh, this is his quote. He says, gratitude reduces toxic emotions ranging from envy and frustration. It can reduce depression and actually increases happiness. Being a thankful, being a grateful person. Studies show that people sleep better. They're they're more well-equipped to deal with adversity. So when trouble and problems come your way, you know, thankful people, people who live with a heart full of gratitude, seem to be able to deal with troubles and trials in a better way. Why should we give thanks? It's simple. Because the Bible tells us that God is good. God is good. God is good all the time. Another reason to give thanks is that as a follower of Jesus, I need to recognise that God is in control of my life. God is in control of my life. Listen, no matter what we're going through right now, God is in control of your life. Now, sometimes we understand that. And our life feels a bit like a jigsaw puzzle. And sometimes life's like that. It all fits together beautifully. And you can see, all this piece is going here, this piece is going here. And even if something goes a bit wrong or a bit wonky, you can think, actually, that's happened, but now I've got this or a job. You don't get a job you wanted, but you've got something better. And you think, oh, that's the reason for this. And it all makes sense. And it all fits together. all comes together, but then sometimes you're in the middle of it and it makes no sense at all. It's like you're sitting with that piece and you just cannot work out where this piece is supposed to go. It makes no sense, but we need to remember that God is in control. And that might come as a revelation to some of us this morning if we're going through a difficult time. I remember learning to drive and um, my very first driving lesson Set off from home, and we used to live by Sunray Park up the road here. And I set off from home, and I thought the driving instructor was going to take me down Cobo Hill and then around the coast and come back. But he didn't. He took me up the Rohees into town, round the roundabout, and I went all round town and over. And I was like, fantastic! I was like, this is amazing. I'm brilliant at this. I'm going to pass in no time at all. And I got home, and he, had, he hadn't stalled, hadn't done anything wrong. It was fantastic. And then I went on my second lesson and I literally bunny hopped out the drive. You know, like that kind of like thing when you can... And I couldn't get the car going and it's stalled. And do you know what? It came as a revelation to me. The, dr- the instructor had controls his side. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I realized on that first driving lesson, I hadn't really done anything apart from steer. He had been doing all the, you know, the pedals and things. And actually he was the one in control. It wasn't me at all. God's a bit like that. You know, he's in the instructor's seat. He's the one with the pedals. Okay. And Proverbs 16, verse 9 says, We can make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. We can make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. Jeremiah 10:23. I know, Lord, that our lives are not our own. We are not able to plan our own course. But thankfully, God is in control and God is sovereign over our lives. Now, we sing the word sovereign quite a lot. He's sovereign over us. And we say the word sovereign. What does sovereign mean? What does sovereign actually mean? You know, this week we're heading into a week of jubilee celebrations. And I don't know what you've got planned, if you're a royalist or if you're not really bothered at all. Um, I don't know where you fit but some of us will sit in front of the telly and watch some celebrations. You might have watched the horse parade the other day and all the different things. I just like seeing what they're wearing, okay? checking out their outfits and what they've got on. Um, but we'll you know, have our afternoon tea party here. You might wave a few flags and um, watch them, Her Majesty doing her thing. Um, well, I don't know what she's doing, but <laughs> she's doing something with a jubilee. And uh, the Queen reigns over us with sovereign power. The queen reigns over us. She's our ruler, and she's extremely powerful. But she has her limitations. She is human. (laughs) She's only a lady at the end of the day. You know, she does all the things we do. Think about that. Um, That you know, she's a lady. She's not anything other, really anything other special. She's just the queen. Actually... You know, she has power, but she has limitations. When we say God is sovereign over us, this is what we are saying. God is able to do what he pleases. He can do what he pleases. He can choose whoever he wants to use, and he can do it whenever he likes. Let me say that again. God is able to do what he pleases with whoever he chooses, whenever he wishes, Psalm 115 verse 3 says, Our God is in the heavens and he does as he wishes. So something to remember is if something is happening in your life right now that doesn't make sense, just remember God is in control. God is in control. Either he did it or he's allowed it for some reason. And we've just sung that even if we don't understand it, He's going to bring something good out of it. He's going to bring something good out of it. We just sung it, Romans 8, 28. And we know that God causes everything to work together for good, for those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. We've just sung it, haven't we? All things work together for our good. That's what God does. It's in his word. But I also believe this to to be true I don't think that we will always see the good that God is doing while we're here on earth. I don't think we'll always see the plan being worked out here on earth. Sometimes it's going to take until we get to heaven and then we'll go, that's what God was doing. That's why I went through that. That was the good thing that he was working out. I think there's things in our lives that seem bad to us at this time, but when we finally get to eternity we'll look back and actually realise all I was being asked to do was simply trust God. Simply trust him. Simply trust that he is in control. So to repeat, number one, I have to give thanks. I have to realise that God is in control of my life. And number two, I have to realise that God loves me. It's really important that we understand that God loves us. You know, who our picture is of God is so, so important God loves us and is looking out for our eternal benefit. That's a really important thing to understand because otherwise we might say, oh, God's in control and he's in control and he's he's working things out. But what kind of God is he? What kind of God am I serving? What is the character of God? Is he an angry God? Is he angry with me? Is he harsh? Is he distant to me? No, he's a loving God. He's kind, he's gracious, he's forgiving He's faithful. He's gentle. So I must realise that God loves me and he's working for my eternal benefit, not just for my benefit here on earth. Even if it's something difficult that I'm going through at the moment, he's working for my eternity. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 4, 17, for our present troubles are small and won't last very long. That might seem hard if we're going through something big. Our present troubles are small and won't last very long, yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever, forever, for eternity. So don't look at the troubles you have right now. Try and look to the future. Look forward and see your future glory, that God is working it out. It will be over soon. It won't last forever. The good things are still to come. A third point to giving thanks is: I need to acknowledge and realise that God is wiser than I am. God is all wisdom. He's wiser than I am. Do any of you watch the One Percent Club? Yeah. Oh, look, they've got some hands up at the back. Just a few of you put got your hands up back. I'm quite addicted to the 1% Club. I have to admit, yeah, I'm, I might shock you to know I'm quite a competitive person. And uh, the 1% Club, if you haven't seen it on Saturday night, have you seen it, it's a, it's a quiz show people sit in a circle and they tell you how much the population has got this question right, okay, starting at like 90% of the population, 80, 70, and I have to get down to the 1%, okay, I have to be in that 1% who, who can get it right, okay, that's my competitive nature in me, I like to think that I have all wisdom, and I'm smart and I'm in that top 1%, I never get there really, because um, they're always those funny little trick questions, but sometimes we we do that with God and we say I actually God I'm wiser than you are I'm wiser than you are you might not think that you do that you'd say of course I never do that of course I would never say that I'm wiser than God of course God is all wisdom but how often do you try to work things out on your own and then go to God at the end because actually I can do it on my own strength thank you very much you know how often is it the last thing we do to pray rather than the very first thing that draws us to God. Often we try and do things on our own. It's like saying, I can do this better on my own. I can do okay without you, thanks God. Even though you're all wisdom and you're in control and you know everything about me, I can do this on my own. Sometimes we do that, but it's simply not true that we can do it on our own. God is always dealing with me for my eternal good, for what's good for me for eternity. In contrast, I'm always dealing with me for my temporary good, okay? I want what makes me feel good now, in this moment, what makes it right now. God's thinking of eternity. You know, it's like when you go to someone's house and they say, would you like an extra piece of pudding? And uh, your, your moment of pleasure, says, yes, please, I'll have that extra piece of pudding. And you know you're eating it, but you know it's not doing you much eternal good, do you? Um, I love that fridge magnet that says, you know, fridge pickers wear big knickers, you know? Have you seen that one? Because I always think, like, little by little, it's momentary good, isn't it? But for our eternal good, it's not that great. In the same way, eternally good is not always feel great in the immediate So if I want to get in shape, I have to exercise in that moment. It doesn't feel very good. Sorry, people who love exercise, but it doesn't feel very good when you're kind of like in pain, doing press-ups or whatever. But you know, actually, it's producing in you something good long-term. It's painful in the moment, but actually it's doing something great long-term. God is working for our eternal good, not just for our momentary good, God's working for eternity. Give thanks to, God the, to the Lord because he is good and his mercy endures forever. His love endures forever. So I said at the start, we'd look at Acts chapter 16 and you're thinking to me, come on, get there. So I better get there, okay, to Acts chapter 16. This is a familiar story to many of you, okay? A story of two men who saw the good and gave thanks um, despite the situation that they found themselves in their hearts of thanksgiving in a situation that was really tough now we, their names are Paul and Silas you'll know this story I'm sure many of you and uh, they went to one of the darkest of places and yet they still gave God the glory they still worship they still gave thanks and the story here begins with these two men being thrown into prison simply for preaching the gospel sharing the good news of Jesus, they go to prison. So this is what happens, Acts 16, 22. A mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas and the city officials ordered them stripped and beaten with wooden rods. They were severely beaten and they were thrown into prison. The jailer was ordered to make sure they didn't escape. So the jailer put them right into the inner dungeon and clamped their feet in the stock feet in the stocks. Around midnight Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening. Suddenly there was a massive earthquake and the prison was shaken to its foundations. All the doors immediately flew open and the chains of every prisoner fell off. The jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open. He assumed the prisoners had escaped So he drew his sword to kill himself, but Paul shouted to him, "'Stop, don't kill yourself. "'We are all here.'" The jailer called for lights and ran to the dungeon and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and asked, "'Sirs, what must I do to be saved?' They replied, "'Believe in the Lord Jesus "'and you will be saved, "'along with everyone in your household, And they shared the word of the Lord with him and with all who lived in his household. Even at that hour of the night, the jailer cared for them and washed their wounds. Then he and everyone in his household were immediately baptized. He brought them into his house and set a meal before them. And he and his entire household rejoiced because they all believed in God." What an amazing turnaround this story is. What an amazing transformation from the first few verses I read to the final few verses. Paul starts out in prison and ends up leading the jailer to Jesus. But how did this come about? How did this miraculous turnaround happen? It came as a result of Paul and Silas giving thanks in the most difficult and challenging of circumstances. We don't read that they had any um, amazing angelic visitation where an angel came and said, like, if you worship, you will be set free. We don't hear that they had any word that there was any hope of them getting out. I'm sure they thought this is the place where we might end our lives. This might be it. This might be the final moment. But they praised God in the night. They still praised God in the night. One passage that often keeps me going in the night is Psalm 42, verse 8. But each day the Lord pours his unfailing love upon me. And through each night I sing his songs, praying to God who gives me life. It's not easy to sing a song in the night, not only if you've got someone sleeping next to you, but um, it's not easy to give praise and to give thanks in the night. You know that moment when you wake up and your mind is just full of fear and worry, and it goes round and round and round and round in your head. It feels like it's crushing, it comes under pressure. When all these thoughts come in, sometimes you wake in the morning, you think, what was that about? That was just way out of perspective. Other times it's real and your worries are real. The pressure comes in. We need to remind ourselves that God is in control. God is in control. And that's when we need to literally quote the promises in the Bible, quote God's word, pray, just quote scripture and, and sing out The Bible says, don't worry about anything, but pray about everything. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. That's what the Bible promises us that peace that passes all understanding. You know, it's interesting in verse 25, it says the other prisoners were listening to them, they were listening to Paul and Silas singing. Now, the prisoners would have been used to hearing crying and moaning and shrieking and screaming and all kinds of shouts, probably of pain and terror, but they probably hadn't heard anyone sing before. It might not have been in tune, it might not have been in a great harmony, but they were singing. It was just the fact that they were singing praises to God. And the word that's used here for them listening means that they were listening with pleasure. They were listening intently. They were enjoying what they were hearing. They were were absorbed by what they were hearing in the songs of worship. They were listening intently. You know, these two guys, it says that they were beaten. Their backs had been literally ripped open. They were taken into the deepest part of what can only be described as a dungeon. We think of our prisons, but it was like a dungeon, a dark, dark place. They were in great pain. Their feet were in the stocks. I'm sure their hands were chained up. And yet they gave praise to God. In that moment, they gave praise and they worshipped God. You know what I want to say to each one of us this morning? That there is a lost world watching us, watching us as followers of Jesus, looking at us, seeing that we still give thanks to God despite our circumstances. We can still say, but we're trusting in a God who is in control, who we say we, we, say we don't understand it, but we know that God is working this together for his good. Here we have Paul and Silas demonstrating that authentic faith, unshakable, authentic faith in a difficult circumstance. They're in prison. They sing songs at midnight to God. They don't. One thing to notice is that they're not praying for deliverance. They don't say, God, free us. Set us free. Open the prison doors. Can we have a way out? They never pray that. They just praised. They just worshipped. They worshipped the God who was in control of their lives, who they trusted because they knew they were loved by a God who loved them immeasurably. They just worshipped. They didn't ask. They just praised. They glorified and gave thanks. And now the miracle comes the earthquake came. It shook and it shook everything and they were free to go. They were free to leave as those prison doors flew open. And that's great. That's fantastic when the earthquake comes. It's fantastic when that miracle comes. But that's not the focus of this story. That's not the focus of this passage. The focus of the story is that we can rejoice in the most trying of circumstances because there's times when, I'm going to be honest, the earthquake doesn't come. There's times when the earthquake doesn't come, when the miracle doesn't happen, when we don't see it. We don't see a way out of our circumstances. We don't get immediately delivered from our circumstances. Sometimes God will deliver us, take us out of our circumstances, like Daniel in the lion's den. Think of Daniel. He was protected. He was kept safe. He was removed from those circumstances. There's other times when God goes through those situations and circumstances with us. You think of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. He was there with them. We sing it. There was another in the fire standing next to me. There was another in the fire standing next to me. Sometimes we just go through those circumstances knowing that the presence of God is with us. But in this case, the earthquake came. The Roman jailer, he realizes he's going to be dead. He's going to be killed because he's let these prisoners go. They've got out. They've escaped and he's going to be executed. So he takes out his sword and he's just about to pierce it into his chest. When they shout to him, Paul cries out, don't harm yourself, we're still here. We're still here. This is a hard guy. This is one tough dude that we've got here. Okay, he's a hard guy. He's beaten them, he's whipped them. He hasn't cleaned out their wounds. He's taken them into the darkest part of the dungeon in this prison. He was really, really tough. But he heard their singing and he was moved. But let's not forget this in this story, there's a key part here. Paul himself knew what it was to be a hard man. He knew what it was to be the tough guy. Paul, formerly Saul, was the hardest of men, hunting down Christians, executing them. Paul knew a little bit about what it was like to be this jailer. He could relate to him. Maybe his heart went out to him when he said, hey, don't harm yourself, we're still here. How easily he could have said, yeah, put that sword into into your chest. You know, you've beaten us, you've hurt us, you deserve the worst. But he didn't. He says, don't harm yourself, we are still here. And the jailer says, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to be saved? You know, Maybe you're here today and you've come with a lot of problems a lot of issues, a lot of difficult circumstances. My prayer is that we would get some perspective today that God is in control, that he loves us and that he's working for our eternal good. And if you feel like it or not, we need to say, I will rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. Let me close with this. It's something the jailer said. He asked the question, what must I do? to be saved. And Paul said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved.